Okay, are you ready to start? I'm ready. Oh, man. Hi, it's Tom. It's the Tom Bernard Podcast with Catherine Brandt. I'm your wife. I am a head for business and a pod for sin. Alex Brandt Bernard. Mom. Andy Brandt Bernard. Daddy, cookie. Sean Bernard. You're just hurting yourself with this rambunctious behavior. And Tony Lee. Smart, witty, vicious, a monster. He is a little bit cute. This is Jesse Ventura. You're listening to the Tom Bernard Podcast. I'm not. If you're a regular listener to the podcast, you've heard me go on and on about RF Molar Jeweler, the best diamond, the best price, the guarantee, you know the drill. But I've never told you what this amazing guarantee is all about, so here we go. Mark Moeller and the rest of the Moeller family are so convinced you can't buy a better diamond at a better price that they'll guarantee you 100% of your money back if you can get a better deal on a diamond anywhere. You won't be able to, of course, but boy, you sure are welcome to try. Here's the part that blows me away, though. You don't have 30 days to return that diamond. You don't have 60 days. You have, drum roll please, forever. That's right, forever. RF Moeller Jeweler has not been in the business for over 60 years by getting beat by the competition. They stayed in business because uh, they focus. You know what I mean? Focus is the deal. Their focus is to exceed customers' expectations. They do that by offering the best diamond prices day after day after day. Go ahead. Shop Jared, Shane, or any other jeweler in town, then stop in the one of their three locations, ask about the guarantee. If you want to do me a favor, you can tell them you heard about them on the TomBernardPodcast.com. There's a disease affecting the workplace, maybe yours. It's called March Madness, and it may lead to office pools, which are highly contagious. Your only hope is to resist the temptation of camaraderie, bragging rights, friendly competition, and financial gain. Heed the symptoms that may indicate that your workplace is suffering from the effects of a full-blown office pool. You may witness the passing around of sign-up sheets with names, teams, and the request to pony up a nominal fee. You may overhear the words bracket, overtime, or upset uttered in excited fashion. You may see individuals sporting team jerseys or displaying team logos on casual Fridays. You may experience the shock of seeing groups of otherwise ambivalent co-workers exchanging high fives that aren't work-related. Run away and sequester yourself lest you fall victim to this annual outbreak. Together, we can help stop the madness, the March madness. Remain on alert and stay safe. The office pool, you can drown in there. I have a buzz in my headphones. We all do. Yeah. Well, let me uh, see if it's anyone's mic in particular. It's that mic. It's Don's mic. Uh, try just tugging on the cord a little bit. <laughs> there you oh, go. that's what did it. Yeah. Yep. What a pro, Don. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Don Shelby, raconteur, news anchor, actor, writer. Uh, athlete. Blues man. Blues man. Blues that's man. Right, Blues that's man. right. You can't forget that. I um. I've been looking forward to this for a long time, actually, because, and it was a total coincidence. CJ's article was a total coincidence. I didn't know she was going to write about Howard Stern, because one thing I've always told people is that uh, all through that whole Howard Stern coming to Minneapolis thing, you went on the news and said, he's got no chance. He'll, he'll never beat Bernard. And you were the only person who did that. <laughs> I will tell you that flat out. Everybody else thought I was done, but you, uh, it was very kind, kind of you. There's no way that uh, Howard could cook you, well, and I knew it then. I 
uh, know it now. And I don't think that the uh, uh, that that was editorialism, was it? No. It was an aside. It was an aside, yeah. Wasn't it? It wasn't part of a news story. No. So I wasn't expressing an opinion, which I suppose is allowed in those sort of transitionary things where you have the um, male anchor and the female anchor chatting. Mm-hmm. Well, you're the journalist. You should know that. Yeah, okay. It was legal. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you have it. Yeah. So by coincidence, this uh, Don was not booked today because of the Howard Stern article, though. In which uh, CJ pointed out that I, I did at one time say that I'd punch him in the goddamn face if I ever met him <laughs> because of what he said about my children and my wife. And yeah. But you once said that about me. I never said that. Yes, about you. you did. You called me up one day and said, <laughs> What is this bullshit that I'm hearing <laughs> what? from my friend? How can you possibly? I'm going to come over there and kick your ass. You too? I think I've done it to everybody. I, was say, long. I, I get it at least once. And I went. <laughs> I get it. I went, T, what are you talking about? Well, well I heard from somebody who said somebody who heard you say a like thing. <laughs> and I went, you are the craziest well, you've son of a that. bitch I have ever <laughs> met. That's hilarious. You've always known that. Though. That's a good reply. True. You, you did hear what Joe Suchere said when I did that to him. <laughs> What did Sushere say? One of the funniest things I've ever heard. <laughs> what? So he was he was going on and on and on and on and on about what an asshole I was on Monday Night Sports talking whatever. So I called the Pioneer Press and I said, "Is Joe Sushere there?" And they said, "No, he's he's not here." I said, well, "Would you connect me to his cell phone?" I said, "Well, no, but uh, uh, we can put you through to his home number." <laughs> wow! And so they put me through to his home number, and he answered the phone. I said, "Joe, it's Tom Bernard." And he goes, "How'd you get my number?" I said, that's not important. I heard uh, Monday Night Sports talk. How would you like if I came over there and beat the shit out of you? And there was a pause, and he said, I don't know. I'm pretty wiry. <laughs> that's so cool. Isn't that a great line? Yeah, that's great. That's, that's great. a great. But getting back to this now. Oh, you know, one thing I should, should point out, and you probably will, will not remember this at all. 23 years ago, last February, last month, 23 years ago, I ran into you in Rice Park during the St. Paul uh, Winter Carnival. Yes. Right? And I had my three-year-old son with me, and he's sitting right there at the end of the table now. Maybe you've heard of him. He's right there. I will never, ever forget this as long as I live. 23 years ago, I said, Andy, uh, I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. This is Mr. Don Shelby. Andy looks up at Don and he goes, <laughs> I don't remember doing that. And I, well, you, you know why three. I can't remember is because that's what my wife does to me today. <laughs> Still to this very today. day. Somebody told me, have you seen Don in a while? I said, no, actually, I have not, other than, you know, the, the promo stuff for Rocky Horror. Right. Uh, he said, he's got long white hair now. I yeah. said, yeah, I, no, I have not seen it. So I go downstairs to grab Poison, as Alex calls it. Poison. Poison. She was on me about that. He's poisoning himself, but everyone. We're talking I, about uh, aspartame, by the way. Yes. Oh, Soda. Not, not just actual poison. It's what you get when we're working. Sorry it's so warm in here, by the way. They haven't put the air exchanger in yet. So I apologize for the heat. We're going to go shirts and skins soon. Yeah, shirts and skins. <laughs> oh, God. How does it feel to let the hair grow down, to take, uh, to just loosen up and get away from the Shelby knot and uh, just oh, relax? Yeah, this is kind of this is my go to hell hair <laughs> because I was such an ass kisser for 
uh, 50 years. 50? 50? 50 years. Because in the ratings business on television, mm-hmm. um, every single viewer is important, yeah. uh, according to management. And <clears throat> so I would... Uh, Someone would say, I don't like your hairstyle, or I don't like your suit, or I don't like... Right. And you'd have to write them and say, I, I apologize, I'll change immediately. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. I, I once moved my part. My, my wife said, you know, you've had the same haircut for the past uh, 40 years. Can you d- do something? Because you look like a, an old man wearing a helmet. And I said, yeah, well, yeah, well I'll not try. So I moved my part one half inch... One half inch. That's all I did. Nothing else. Fifteen hundred uh, messages on the call sheet. Kidding me? Fifteen hundred. Yeah. yeah. So, so, and they just oh go back, God. go back. Don't you? You? What's wrong? Are you going through a midlife crisis? Oh my Tell God. me oh what's my wrong God. with him. He's is he drinking? <laughs> <laughs> so. So so this is the go to hell hair because now people go, I don't like your hair. And I go, why don't you go to hell? Good. <laughs> you on Twitter? Yeah. Well, I got to get I got to I got to follow you on Twitter because my favorite thing is uh, when somebody does something like that to me, I just put on there. You know, you could try to be happy, or you could just go fuck yourself. <laughs> That's my point. On you. One or the other. You can try your absolute best. That line is one of my favorite Ron Majors Ron lines. Majors. Yeah. Ron, one of my all-time favorite people, was uh, in New York, and um, he hadn't been there before, and he was staying at the Algonquin Hotel, and he got oh, turned yeah. around somehow in Times Square. And so he came to one of the kiosks. And this was back before Giuliani. This was when New York was really New York, for instance. So he walked up to the kiosk. He didn't want to do it. He knew he was from out of town. He looked like a tourist. (laughs) But he walked up to the guy selling the magazines and newspapers, and he said, pardon me, sir, I'm lost. I'm from out of town, and I'm staying at the Algonquin Hotel. Could you please give me directions to the Algonquin Hotel, or should I just go fuck myself right now? (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you have it. You know how much fun that was, a little exchange, because you and I have known each other for about 30 years, and never before been able to talk to each other that way. That's true. Never never before. Um, God, there's so many different things I want to talk to you about. First of all, for our younger audience, and about 43% of our audience doesn't, live in minnesota on the podcast um don took over from a legendary broadcaster named dave moore uh, i also said that dave moore should have gotten the cbs job not walter cronkite to tell you the truth yeah. but there must have been tremendous pressure on you i, I don't know I, I don't know if you felt it or not but i mean dave moore was legendary yeah but then you stepped up and took over Ratings never – actually, ratings went up, didn't they? Well, first of all, Dave had uh, a higher Q rating than the president of the United States in Minnesota. Absolutely. <laughs> more people knew Dave more and where he worked mm. and what he did for a living than – you know, when you compare a picture, they look at a picture of the president of the United States. And, and right. more people knew Dave than the president. <laughs> and he was also beloved – it wasn't just that he oh, no it was well-known. He was no. beloved. People loved Dave. And uh, I, w- I got, in the first year, I got about 2,000 letters back when people sent letters. And, uh, and I kept them all. And the letters basically said, 
they they said many different things, but the bottom line of the letter was, um, "You are no Dave Moore." Oh, okay. Ugh. I wrote back every one of those people, and I wrote back the following words: "I know that better than you do." <laughs> there you go. Well, there you go. Yeah. I was once on my very very first voiceover audition back when I used to do a lot of voiceover. My very first one. Uh, the guy goes, you sound like a bad Dave Moore. <laughs> so you and I both got that. That's another thing we share, right? You just sound like a bad Dave Moore. But Dave also, just very, very quick aside, and it's not necessarily uh, necessary to, to mention who this person was, but a friend of mine was madly in love with one of the reporters on Channel 4. Right? This is many, many, many years ago. Yeah. And Dave used to pitch for the CCO softball team. He was the pitcher. Mm-hmm. Right? I was so a left fielder. We're playing. You were the left fielder. Yeah. So we're play, we're playing a media game one time. And my friend says to me, "Well, it was Craig Schumacher actually." Schumacher says, "I want to meet Dave Moore." Schu says he wants to meet Dave. Yes. Okay. This is way back. Okay. So we run out to the mound. I said, "Dave, uh, this is my friend Craig Schumacher, and uh, a good guy." Probably just wanted to say hello. He said, well, no, Dave, that's not true. I actually wanted to meet you because I wanted to tell you that I just think so-and-so is magnificent. And Dave looked down at his shoes and looked up at Craig and said, you know, Craig, there's less there than meets the eye. (laughs) (laughs) Phenomenal. (laughs) Phenomenal guy. Dave one time was at a party. And uh, a drunk woman came up to him. Oh, God. And uh, she said, I know who you are. I know exactly who you are. Don't tell me. Wait a minute. I'm going to get it just a minute. I know who you are. You, I, listen, I know better than anyone else who you are. I'm going to tell you who you are. And Dave sat there very patiently, and it went on for about five minutes. I know, don't, don't tell me I know who you are. Finally, he got exasperated, and he said, Dave Moore. She went, fuck no, it's up. I'll get it in just a minute. You're up. You know my favorite part of that story? Is I knew you back when you actually used to talk like that. <laughs> That's been a few years. That's true. That's true. You told me one time, and I don't know if it's a true story or not, but you and I were up on top of the new. At that time, it was a brand new building for Channel Four. Yeah. And you were, you and I were up on the roof, uh, having a cigar. Yeah. And uh, you know, I used to talk to Dave about many, many different things about reading and sports and you know, uh, lifestyle and the whole deal. And I said, so what's the real story? Why did you, why did you stop uh, drinking? And he said, it might have had something to do with the night that I was at France 44 beating on the door going, let me in. <laughs> it's like 10.05 at night. He goes, let me in. <laughs> I don't know that that's true, but it was a great story. Well. <laughs> Next week for me will be 33 years. Really? Back up two weeks to about this March 28th, okay. uh, 1980. And I went on the air drunk and um, 
seriously drunk, about a quart of Jack Daniels Black Holy. Label. That was your hooch of choice. <clears throat> yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I, uh, I was uh, completely sloshed. And nobody, I had never talked to any of the producers. Uh, I hit out. And then I went on the air drunk, and they, they had no idea until they, they saw me. And um, we got oh, 5,000 messages on the, uh, the uh, they had to bring in somebody else to take phone calls it was just uh, one after the other get that drunk off the air he's oh, okay. you know, hu- humiliating he's embarrassing but there was one guy who i've never met i would love to meet to this day because in 1980 the iranian hostage crisis was at oh, his peak yeah. <clears throat> and that was the lead story it was where nightline came from and this message said, and I kept that page, it said, I appreciate Mr. Shelby explaining the Iranian hostage crisis in the Ayatollah's own tongue. <laughs> That's fabulous. Fabulous. That's a great story. And tell him to move his part. <laughs> and tell him to move his part a half an inch, God damn it. Uh, you'll love this. Uh, there's, like I said, there's so many things that I want to get to. We're not going to be able to do it. But Catherine, my lovely wife, uh, tweeted that you were going to be on the podcast today. And this one guy tweeted back, oh, great. The two biggest pricks in the history of broadcasting <laughs> at the same time. Nice. <laughs> it's like, okay. That is wonderful. Yeah, yeah. You don't you care for either one of us, huh? <laughs> but I, what's, what amazes me about that is why people follow other people on social media they don't like yeah. um, fascinates me. Yeah. Why would you follow someone you don't like on, on Twitter or Facebook? I don't know. I, I get every once in a while there's a, there is a uh, person, uh, not Randy Shaver. That's the name. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Not yep. Randy Shaver. Yep. So I know it's not Randy Shaver. Um, and never misses an opportunity. I mean, I'm nearly in the grave. He never misses an opportunity. <laughs> in the grave. <laughs> he never misses an opportunity to whip my ass for something. How long have you been retired now? Uh, a couple of years. Two and a half years. Two and a half years. Yeah. Still can't let up. Now, oh, no. what, what's his problem? I, I, he, I don't think he likes me. I, that's a possibility. It's a possibility. You know. I've pissed some people off in my time. Me too, pal. Yeah. See. <laughs> you know, and that's, it's kind of fun now that there is no pressure that I can piss off a lot more people. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that, actually. I don't think so, especially if they are stupid. Yeah, that's the whole problem with it. Uh, yeah. It's, you know, actually I had a guy tweet me a few days ago. I can't who was, I can't remember the subject. But they were going on and on and on about this, that, or the other thing. And you know what really pisses me off? They don't even speak good English. Okay. Mm -hmm. Nice. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, if they don't speak good English, well, then I can understand why you're so upset. I have a a book in my hand, a hook. I have a book in my hand right now called The (laughs) Season Never Hard. I have a hook for a hand. It's a hard life. (laughs) The season never ends, wins, losses. And the Wisdom of the Court, Don Shelby, uh, authored this book, wrote this book. Uh, no co-author either. No co-author, but you see who did the foreword? 
No, I haven't seen that yet. I did see the nice thing you wrote to me, though. It was very nice of you. You've always been nice to me. Other than that one time I thought you were a prick. <laughs> Which I don't remember. <laughs> I, I think you could threaten to come over and kick my ass. <laughs> I think I did it to everybody. Stop it. Tommy, stop it. <laughs> that didn't happen. Oh, one th- oh, you know, I should mention that, that I would go through periods in my career when a certain group of people would be after me for this, that, and the other thing. And you were always so kind to me because I would go, I was literally, you know, I'd go to the doctor and say, you know, you're going to die. You're so stressed out, you're going to die. So I'd go sit with Don and have a cigar and go, Don, what, you know, what is the fucking deal here? And you always were great about that. I really appreciate that. I appreciated you reaching out. Well, I'm... Oh, no! <laughs> I wanted you to oh, see no. that. Yeah, I wanted you to see that. Uh, that's fantastic. <laughs> the foreword, The Season Never Ends, ladies and gentlemen, written by Don Shelby. Mm-hmm. And the foreword is written by Tubby Smith. <laughs> oh, wow. So That's fantastic. Uh, there you go. Wow. Couldn't uh, get Shaka Smart to write the foreword, huh? Well, I hadn't been prescient. I don't know how you could get uh, Fred Hoiberg to do it. I, I, I had a four-part. Fred Hoiberg, Shaka, Brad Stevens. Uh, I could probably have maybe have done that. Nah, but yeah. Tubby Smith was good. Um, That's one of the nicest human beings in the world. I just Tubby? say that. Yeah, That's absolutely. what I understand. I never met him. Yeah, absolutely I, one of the finest human beings ever. That's what I understand. He just uh, it was, it was one of those deals. It's time to go. You know, like when you retired, it was time to go. It's getting really close for me to be gone. Not from this. I'll always do I can't imagine a world of broadcast or internet casting or podcasting without you. I thought you were going to say, I can't imagine getting up at 4 o'clock in the fucking morning (laughs) (laughs) for 30 years. (laughs) That's exactly what I thought you were going to say. Well, again, like I said, you've always been very, very kind to me. But it's just... I felt the same way when you retired. For now, you left radio a year before a, television. One year yeah. before, so it's yeah. been three and a half years for radio. Right. And another time when you took over for a legend. I mean, you you stepped in after legends a couple of times, and just it never bothered you. I mean, you never wavered from what you wanted to do and you know what you wanted to deliver. Um, Steve Cannon was. Uh, God, he had to be on, what was he on? He was on CCO about 27 years, wasn't yeah, he? right. Phenomenal for those was, that mm-hmm. maybe don't know him nationally. He was just an incredible broadcaster. One of my favorite things ever about Steve Cannon. And for all the uh, young listeners, you do need to Google these names because these people are all legendary people in Minnesota. They really are. <laughs> but I was in the old clubhouse at Met Stadium many, many years ago. And Steve Cannon was in there because he always wanted the free dinner. He loved the free dinner at the Twins games. But Calvin Griffith came down there and he said, Steve, great to see you. Steve Cannon, uh, he's introducing around all these other people. All right, well, I got to get on stairs, but I tell you, you tell that goddamn Morgan Mundane he's an asshole. <laughs> Morgan Mundane was a character that Steve Cannon did, but. But Calvin didn't know it was a character. Unbelievable. He thought it was a real person. I I, I feel his pain because when I drove into uh, Minnesota with my family, I thought I'd turn on WCCO radio so I could get a flavor of what WCCO was. And so as soon as I could pick up the signal on the other side of Wisconsin, I started uh, listening. 
And uh, and remember, I'm a fall-down drunk at this point, and I'm listening to Cannon. And how old are you at this time? Ah, 32. 32 years old. And so uh, Cannon is in a conversation with this other person. Mm-hmm. See, and that's what I'm thinking. Well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because I've never heard Cannon before in my life. Right. But he's in a conversation with another person. And he's doing a Schmidt beer ad. Oh, God, yeah. With the character. And no, yeah. First of all, he goes, and Nanook and I like to have a... <laughs> Nanook. I forgot Nanook. about Nanook. Nanook and I like to settle down and have uh, two or three uh, Schmidt beers. And Morgan says, uh, Steve, I'll... Uh, you have more than two occasionally, don't you? <laughs> and he goes, no, I, I don't. I usually have about uh, two. Sometimes maybe I'll have three. And he goes, I've uh, been through the garbage can with you a couple times. It's uh, like a 20. I believe 20. I think you got a real problem, Steve. <laughs> a real problem uh, with your drinking. And he goes, I don't have a drinking problem. Listen, uh, that's okay. You could say all you want to, but I think you got a drinking problem. <laughs> And so I got to town, I called WCCO Radio, and I tell him to get that guy off of Steve's ass. <laughs> Fabulous. I did. That's wonderful. And then I go, you know, that's, they're the same people. Well, I knew that. <laughs> I, knew, I knew that. I'm just bullshit. He would do that from a teeny little studio, too, and pull the curtains so yeah. no one could see him. And he would never do the state ring. fair. He no. would never do the state yeah. fair because mm-hmm. the state fair was an open studio. Right. And so he could not concentrate. But no. the best the best radio show I ever did was Cannon came back after eight years mm-hmm. to visit. And we shared the show, and I let him do the Cannon mess. Right. And I was sort of his guest. Yeah, that's great. And it was a wonderful show. Oh, he was unbelievably yeah. talented. He did a great job. Before he went to do Afternoons at, at WCCO Radio, an iconic radio station in Minnesota for the 43% of you who don't live here. But And by the way, fuck you, Uruguay. I still don't have any listeners there. <laughs> what the hell's that all about? Man. I forgot what I... can't believe you. Uruguay. Listeners. It was before Uruguay. Oh, before Cannon came to CCO. Yes. Yeah, where uh, was he oh, working yeah, he, before? He was at KSTP. Yeah. And the greatest part of that was is that Steve... He was doing mornings at KSTP, which is the radio station I started my radio career at. Well, working for the Hubbards at 1500 KSTP back in the day. Um, but he, he knew he was going to get fired by the Hubbards. And he had this ingenious way of ducking out of the building every day uh, one minute after the show was over. So it took them like an extra six months to fire him because they couldn't find him. <laughs> but then he went over and uh, he went over to CCO and then, man, he was, what a show that was. was something else, really something else to listen to because he had this. One thing I loved about doing voiceover with Steve Cannon, he had this magnificent voice. And whenever we would record a commercial and his part would come on, he would lean into the speaker and smile. <laughs> at the sound of his own voice. <laughs> oh, that sounds good, doesn't it? <laughs> Little guy, guy from uh, where? Eveleth, right? Yeah. Eveleth, Minnesota, up on the Iron Range. Mm-hmm. Nice Jewish boy. Huh? That's why I loved him. Yeah, that's why. How long did you work with with Cam? I was at CCO for just a brief stint, and he must have been a very habitual human being. When I came in, evidently he used to hang out with a guy who used to be in the studio before me. He walked in one afternoon. He looked in and it's like, "How you doing?" He goes, "You mind if I come in here and have my lunch?" <laughs> I'm like, 
Come on in. I was actually honored. He came in, he sat down, he had his little brown bag, ate his sandwich, and told me some wonderful stories and just went on his way. Yeah. But he was used to coming in there every day and having his lunch. I will tell you one thing. I, I have, when I die, I know I'll go to heaven because I've experienced hell. I once had lunch with Steve Cannon and Mike Gelfand. Oh, oh my wow. God. Really? A little oh, depressing? Oh, my God. Feel complaints God. about the oh food? Oh, my God. <laughs> Here's another thing that's wrong. Yeah, you're up three. I'll tell you another thing. Oh, my God. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> and I love them both. Don't get me wrong. Steve's no longer with us, unfortunately. And, Mike retired, Mike Gelfan. But those two, when they were together, it, nothing was right. Everything was right. You know, we're far too good for this world. Yeah, okay. Settle down. All in it. <laughs> were you at the Lincoln Dell? We used to, yeah, I went to the Lincoln Dell. <laughs> <laughs> now you should remind me of uh, Seriously, 30-second story. Jeff Passel first started working with me on the KQ Morning Show. Uh, God, 1988, just after Mark Rosen had to leave uh, to to go to work at uh, at CCO Radio. So, well, actually, Mark Curtis was on for a brief stint there. But uh, but Passel was brand new on the KQ Morning Show. Didn't didn't really know me. I had known him through his brother, Dave, uh, you know, for a few years. <laughs> We're sitting at the Lincoln Dell one day, <clears throat> and one of the regulars in the Lincoln Dell was this really old guy with two canes. Now, Jeff doesn't know that I know this guy. This guy's got two canes. He's probably 85 years old. Was a great guy. So he, he kind of gets himself over. He's got both canes working, and he's got a little head shake going in the whole deal, right? <laughs> so he looks comes, like he's skiing. He comes over, <laughs> and he looks at Jeff. He goes, aren't you Jeff Passold? And I looked up and went, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> Passold went in. <laughs> I thought he was going to have a heart attack. Honestly, God. <laughs> God, went into full tilt panic. It's <laughs> only 85 year old. This guy's he's weaving and bobbing. <laughs> but, you know, it all worked out in the end. Tell me about the season never ends. Now, now, you wrote it, you said, about a year ago. Yeah. Series of uh, stories, 32 stories, very short. Uh, you can read it on an airplane flight. Take you about a night to read it. Um, of stories set in basketball, but basketball is not the subject matter. It's uh, it's sort of the arena in which these stories play out. They're all um, morality uh, plays, in essence. Uh, they each have lessons, uh, and in fact, the end of the book are the ten lessons of basketball that that. Uh, conform to the the ten lessons of living a, a good and productive life. Mm-hmm. If you play the game well, if you coach well, if you listen well, if you work with your teammates well, um, you're going to end up with a good life. As an example, um, in one of the lessons that uh, I postulate that the greatest statistic in the game of basketball is not uh, rebounds and scoring, it's the assist. Yeah. And that is uh, true in basketball. And it is true in life. And sometimes you're put on earth to get the ball into the hands of the person with the best chance of scoring. Right. Not hitting the winning basket. Not being the person on the um, cover of Sports Illustrated. Um, You may never be remembered for the game. But the person who scored the winning basket will never forget you. No, that's very true. Absolutely. Um, 
everybody knows you're a really good basketball player, don't they? I mean, you you played in enough charity events and kind of been very forward about your love of the game. Pretty much everybody knows you're a hell of a basketball player, don't they? Used to be a pretty good. Oh, you're not anymore. Player. I don't know. I've lost a you know at 66, you lose a little bit to the outside. You're 66. Yeah, you look like you're about 50. See. We well, basketball. <laughs> it's basketball. He goes, That's what I love. About. No vanity there at all. He just goes. No, he doesn't go. Thanks. He goes. See. I know I'm pretty. I know I'm pretty. Oh God. What a, what a world. You gotta love Florida GCU right now. Yeah, I do. I do. I, I'm I'm absolutely enamored. I have mm-hmm. them all the way out. Uh, in the brackets, and that's why I'm so happy. I have them winning the uh, NCAA champion. I'm lying. Who in the hell, who in the hell had them? Right. Yeah. Well, you know, who t- <laughs> the dean of the school. They had a dean. Yeah, I don't even know they had a yeah, dean. They might not. You know who tells your story perfectly is actually the story of Tyus Jones, the the player in Apple Valley. He's actually number two in the country in rankings right now. Yeah, mm-hmm. phenomenal point guard, but he's known not for scoring but for assists. That's he's right, absolutely and, phenomenal player. And uh, Rashad Vaughn and Travis yes. Reed. I mean, these are these are incredible basketball players. If you had a top ten. Uh, a listing of possible draft choices oh. for college. These yeah. three would be in the top ten, and they're all right. local kids. And what are the chances of Minnesota getting any of these? Slim to none. Right. none. Right. Which none? is unfortunate. It's none. Yeah. It's almost like uh, if you look at the uh, the Cubs roster through the years, yeah. and you take all of the people they traded away, oh. you they were all uh, <clears throat> ring winners in world championships. Yeah. And they traded them away. Uh, all of the people that we have lost at the University of Minnesota, for one reason or another, very much like the Timberwolves, um, where we have made bad choices right. in our in the draft, right. and they ended up being busts when the people below them uh, were actually better ball yeah. players who are, are playing great ball today, even. So um, I don't know. It's you're going to have to uh, get a great, great, great recruit, recruiter, somebody with uh, a lot of energy, because that takes an immense amount of energy to be a great recruiter. Oh, you know, yeah. Izzo, Izzo was watching Tyus yeah, play yeah. after the NCAA win, got on a plane right away and flew here. Yep. Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, Tubby, to his credit, was watching uh, Tyus play when he was in eighth grade. Absolutely. When he was he was there and, and following him. Uh, Vaughn, from, was he Robbinsdale Cooper or just Ro- Ro- Cooper? Oh, Robbinsdale Cooper. He's a phenomenal player as well. That's not as well known as Tyus. But if we had even a chance at getting those two guys, it would be phenomenal for the program. Be incredible. Yeah. But, you know, Tyus has one of those uh, uh, perfect example of the kind of ball that I love is that uh, Tyus will be a distributor. Yes. Make sure he gets the balls in the hand of the people who can score, who have a better chance of scoring than he does. But if they're covered, if they're doubled, he's got the ball. He'll take it to the rack. Boom. He'll score yeah. 28 points in yeah. the game. Like he has enough. both sides of the game. Who do you think is going to be uh, coming here? Do you think it's going to be Shock Smart? Uh, you know, I was just thinking if there were one person in the state of Minnesota, I would ask that question. It would be you. Well, I think we're had the inside track for Shaka. Now he's got UCLA, of course. Yes. Now, he already turned him down, though. I heard, I heard in, that. In essence, yeah. In essence, because uh, the reason he turned him down is because an extension offer has been right. made by VCU. Right. And so that's sort of appropriate for him to turn down UCLA. True. With, and that could have been with a wink. Right. I can't say anything right now because I have to have an appropriate amount of time to right. look at this offer VCU has made to me. 
But uh, Norwood Teague was the um, AD who hired Shaka Smart out of the assistance position in Florida for VCU. Now Norwood Teague is here. Right. So Norwood's got an inside track. He's got a relationship with Shaka to do that. I don't know you could prad Brad Stevens out of Butler. Right. I don't know that you could do that. I don't know if he'd be the proper fit right. uh, for the kind of ball player that, that we're uh, turning out here in the state. Um, but uh, inside money, the people who are uh, really saying who has the best chance, they're saying Flip Saunders. I would not mind that. Yeah, Flip is a, a class guy, a lot of character, yeah. very, very smart basketball Great guy. Great association with the program. Yes. No question about that. Yeah. Um, what's interesting to me is for a guy like Shaka Smart, let's say he's still in the running, it's gotten to the point now where if uh, Minnesota is going to pay you $3 million a year and UCLA is going to pay you $5 million a year, it's a better deal for you to come here. Because cost of living in California has gotten so psychotic, yeah. you'd actually make yeah. more money. In Minnesota. Yeah. And that's great as far as I'm concerned. I mean, uh, otherwise, how are you going to level the playing field? Right. But you know as well as I do that uh, it is the uh, number that uh, will go on the resume. Yeah. So if you made $5 million at UCLA and in 10 years Duke comes calling, they know they got to beat the five. They don't have to beat the three. They don't offer you five. Right. They have to offer you nine. No, that's right. That's, so, that's very true. So, you, so that, that number is important in that sense. So who do you think is going to win the uh, national championship this year? Indiana. They are damn. Well, that's because you're from Indiana, though. Yeah, but I don't like Indiana. I never, I'm not a, <laughs> I'm like not a Hoosier Indiana. fan. I've never been, been Munsey? Yeah, I but so. I've never been a Hoosier fan. Uh, and I, in fact, I've never been a fan of Indiana college basketball. So I'm not a Purdue guy. I'm not an Evansville guy. Really? I'm not a Terre Haute guy. I'm not Indiana State, not Notre Dame, not any of the really no. Because all of the concentration back in 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 my state when I was a kid, um, uh, which I consider my mom and dad's home. I don't think it's my home. My home's okay. here. Right. Um, uh, was all high school ball. That's all it was. Yeah. Everyone oh, just cared about the communities. Just cared about their high school. Uh, only the graduates of those universities. Uh, cared about the college programs. And so uh, I don't have an affinity for the Hoosiers at all. Really? Um, but I just think, um, I, in fact, I, I emailed uh, before the season started uh, Rosie and just said, Indiana, national right, champions. Right, right. And then the Gophers beat them with Tubby Smith at the helm. Yeah, they they yeah. beat the number one uh, team in the country and then just fall apart the week later. Yeah. It, was, it was a sad situation. But 11 to 16, they lost. Yeah. Oh, man. That's hard to believe, actually. Uh, do you blame the coach? Do I blame the coach? Do you blame the coach or do you blame the players when you fall apart 11-16? I think that, that he lost them. I think, first of all, that team, and it's difficult to say this because some people are going to oh, God, what a horrible thing to say. I think that team was lazy. I really do. They were so incredibly talented, but I saw them so many times half-heartedly go after a rebound, half-heartedly try to keep a ball in bounds. I didn't see a lot. Some of them do. Several of them, though, didn't ever make that extra effort that it takes to be a great basketball team, even though I think they could. Well, they were number eight in the country at one one point. There's one thing that you and I know from this profession that we've been in, that uh, if you work for a company, um, and I worked for many years for one company, you worked for many years for one company, they paid the bills. They gave you the paycheck. Mm -hmm. But people would ask me, who do you work for? And I said, me. 
Yeah, well, there you go. Me. I don't. Uh, these people pay my paycheck, right? But I don't work for them because this, my standards exceed theirs. Yes, I don't I work up true. to their standards. I, I exceed their standards, right? And so I work for my reputation. At some point, that message has to get through to even college-age basketball players. Yeah, absolutely. That every time you go out on the court, it is your name. That will be uh-huh. in the box score. It will be your name that will be talked about on television and radio. It will be uh, your name that the national scouts will be looking at. Correct. You will play your very best game every time you're on the court, and yeah. you will leave nothing, nothing. You will take nothing back into the except sweat and blood back to that locker room into the showers. You will leave it all on the court. Do the young athletes understand that these days? Uh, if anything, uh, I would presume by watching this Gopher basketball team um, that they didn't have it. Right. But uh, Florida Gulf Coast has it. Yeah, apparently they <laughs> do. They got it. No, they're fun. Apparently they, they got do. it. And and they they know every time they go out in the court, um, they're saving nothing for the game tomorrow night. No, absolutely. If they are going to be totally exhausted and beaten to death. Uh, they'll find a way to pull it together, but they're going to win tonight. Yeah. Tonight is the night they're going to win. You know, what's funny about that is I, I uh, and his name is going to come up again, but getting back to Howard Stern, when he came to town and everybody, except for you, predicted that I'd be killed and blah, blah, blah. And I went to the station that morning and everybody looked terrified and whatever. And then for the next year and a half or however long it took, I used to get up an hour early and sit in a chair on the edge of the chair, and not I couldn't wait to get to the radio station. Yeah, if we're gonna if we're gonna get beat, it's not gonna be because I'm not giving it my all. I'll tell you that. I know, I understand exactly what you're talking about. I couldn't wait to get on the air every day. Yeah, it was not a situation. I didn't know if I was gonna win or not. I mean, you know, I didn't know. Who knows what people want to listen to at that particular time? But I was gonna give it my best effort, and I I I didn't really believe that he'd ever win. But, I, again, I didn't have that knowledge. I didn't know if he would or not. But I know exactly what you're talking about. If you don't give it your best effort, then you deserve to get your ass kicked. There's a story in the book, um, and, it, and it has a backstory too. Uh, I'll tell it very briefly. Um, there was a kid who just made, uh, barely made the basketball team uh, three years running. He was the last guy, uh, didn't get cut. Uh, his... Uh, over a three-year high school career, his uh, total points were nine. His uh, total minutes uh, was 11. Um, he just didn't play. He was far in the bench. And um, there was a conference championship on the line. And um, after the uh, shoot-around, the teams came down to the locker room. And the coach was pulled aside by the principal. And the principal said, uh, need to talk to your coach. And the uh, principal left. And he walked over to the to the uh, young man, he sent everybody else, and he had him stay. Sent everybody else up to shoot around, and he said, "Son, you're going to have to go home tonight, um, and uh, just changing your street clothes <clears throat> because your dad died." Oh. Um. And, and the boy sat quietly, and he, and he said, "Well, coach, if it's okay, I'd like to stay with the team tonight, and I know this is an important game, but if it's at all possible." Could you put me in a little bit? Coach said, yeah, I'll do that. So he sent him back up, and the team fell behind 19 points first half. And uh kid didn't play at all. And the second half started the same way, and they were down 28 with about uh, three minutes remaining. 
uh, in the fourth quarter. Coach said he basically had given up, so right. he looked down to the end of the bench and he sent the boy in. From the time the boy touched the ball, uh, he put on a clinic. Um, he had nine steals. Um, he scored 20 points himself. Jesus. He had uh, 11 assists. And he had single-handedly brought the team back to a tie. Uh, six seconds left to go. The boy brought the ball. I mean, the other team brought the ball up. Boys on defense. They knew what they were going to do. Hold it probably till three seconds, moving into a big man. Pivot shot. Boom. Game's over. The boy also thought ahead about that and intercepted the pass. Uh, dribbled as far as he could. One second left. A 30-foot jump shot. Boom. Swish. Wins the game. Really? So, at the end of it, the coach, after all the celebration, the coach sat down next to the boy and he said, Son, I've never seen <clears throat> an exhibition of basketball like that in my life. Uh, from you or anybody, but especially from you, I've never seen you play like that. And why, of all nights, did you do that tonight? And he said, Well, Coach, did you ever meet my dad? He said, no, I know your mom real well, but your dad never came to any of the games. He said, no, he didn't. He, my dad was blind, and tonight was the uh, first game he ever saw me play. Oh, oh, oh geez. Where did you hear that story? I heard it from... Um, Man, oh, look at Alex. Bro. I will cry. <laughs> I will cry. That's a great story. So now, now, now here's the back story. So now I heard that when I was a kid, and I know there's uh, various versions of that story out, so <clears throat> I know it's not original to me. Uh, but... So, uh, in 2006, um, I get a call from the Hopkins girls basketball coach who says, can you come down and, uh, what are you doing Saturday night? And I said, nothing. Well, no, I got a speech. And he said, dang, um, this is Brian Cosgrove, great Mm -hmm. basketball coach. So Cos says, ah, geez, I wanted you to come down and talk to the girls. And, uh, before we uh, played Bloomington Jefferson, I said, Why? And he said, well, I can't get to him, I don't think, because uh, Bloomington Jeff beat us. I can't remember if it was Bloomington Jeff or Kennedy, but Bloomington beat us um, during the season. We're 21-1, and and the only team that beat us was Bloomington. And uh, they beat us last year in the state championship, and they got the same girls. They're a better team than we are. The girls know they're a better team than we are. And they've already lost this game, and they haven't even played it. Right. So could you come in and, and uh, you know, give them a talk? So I said, okay, I'm going to cancel that. And I, I figured out how to cancel the, the speech, move it to something else, or get somebody else to do it. So I show up at Target Center, and I go down there, and the girls are sitting there. <clears throat> and I tell them that story. And I look up, and... And they've got towels over their head and they're falling. And I look over at Coach Koss, and Koss is going, what in the hell did you just do to my team? What did you you do? You don't want to move, no. And they're sobbing in their eyes. But I knew what I was doing. And so I said, all right, girls, dry your eyes and look up at me. And they did. And I said, no, I didn't tell you that story because your dad died or anybody in your family died, or anybody's blind. I told you that story for one reason. That that boy had that game inside of him his whole life and never played it until it was too late. 
Yeah, that's true. And you've got a game inside of you that you have never played. And don't wait to play it. Play it tonight. The Hopkins girls went up. Three girls had career nights. They beat Bloomington by 20 points. Jesus. Won the state championship. Wow. So you won your bet. And they came two weeks later, Tommy. They came. The girls, all of them marched in in their royal blue into the newsroom at CCO and presented me with a state championship ring with my name on it. Nice. Really? Wow. Yeah. You ever yeah, want to coach, Don? I coached, uh, I coached seven years of girls' basketball. I coached four years of all Air Force ball, uh-huh. basketball. Okay. Honest to God. That's one, one of the things I, I always admired about your – and Dave Moore had the same quality. You tell stories. You didn't just deliver the news. You kind of told the news in story form. And yeah. I really, really enjoyed that. And I don't know a lot of people do that anymore. And that's not to say that Frank Vassalero and several other, other people in town are <clears throat> terrific you know, news guys. They are. And wonderful people. I just, you tell a story uh, as well as Dave told a story, which is the highest praise I could give you. I that's the highest praise I've ever heard. No question. Yeah. Uh, just a very short story. It's a, a sports deal. It has a different ending, though. Uh, about three years ago, you know David Brooks. Yeah. David is uh, Herbie Brooks's brother, and unfortunately, Herbie Brooks, the legendary uh, hockey coach, died a few years ago. But uh, David was in Florida, and he wanted to play golf. And I have a friend in Florida named Mark Brown, who played hockey at the University of Vermont. And he said, "I would love to play golf someday with David Brooks." And I said, "Okay, I'll line that up." David Brooks is five nine. About 160 pounds, right? <laughs> Mark Brown is about 6'2 or 3 and weighs about 240 and is a phenomenal golfer. I mean, he's like a plus 2 handicap, right? So we're on the first tee. This is the first time David and Mark had met one another. And so I said, uh, you know, David, this is Mark Brown, a friend of mine. Mark, this is David Brooks. And while he's shaking his hand, Mark Brown says, David, I uh, just want to mention quickly, I played hockey at the University of Vermont, and my roommate was the last person your brother cut from the 1980 Olympic team. And David kind of dropped his head and looked up and said, fuck him if he can't take a jump. <laughs> 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 and David, in that same round, I, I have to hit over water on the 12th hole, a place called Mayaku Country Club. And David goes, what are you going to hit? I said, I'm going to hit a six iron. He goes, no, that's a five iron, definitely. I said, no, it's a six iron. He goes, I'm telling you it's a five iron. I said, well, I'm going to hit the six iron. So I addressed the ball, and a bird up in a tree, swear to God, perfect timing, goes, uh-oh. And David starts that and goes, that fucking bird's seen you play. <laughs> he is a, oh, man. David is a character, a character and a half. Isn't it wonderful? And it's nice to hear you you consider Minnesota to be your home now because all of the – some of the people we've talked about today and all of the people, uh, special characters that that you have met over – so you've been living here, what, 32 years? 34. 34 years. Yeah. Man, oh, I keep forgetting your 60s. I, I forgot that. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot all about that. But it's one thing I I, uh, I love about Minnesota is it's a, it is a very special place. It pisses me off sometimes, you know. It just drives me crazy, some of the decisions we make in the state and all the rest of it. But being 
you know, born here, raised here. I, I've lived in other places, whatever. But as far as, you know, getting the call. And you got the calls from New York and Chicago and Los yeah. Angeles. And we didn't leave. So I'm from here. So why didn't you leave? Well, I think your home is not where you were born. I think your home is where your children were born. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Um, that's where you uh, have put down the roots. That's where you have gone to the PTA meetings. You've gone to all of the class plays. You've gone mm-hmm. to all the ball games. You have gone to all of the dance recitals. You've done it all, and, and it becomes your home because it's your children's home. And uh, all my children were born here. Mm-hmm. They're all uh, straight-up Minnesotans. And uh, and I, I can't imagine being anywhere else. No, I agree. Um, I, I had a chance to go to Seattle, Miami. When, when I came up here from Houston, right. I had a chance to go to Seattle, Chicago, Miami, and New York. Mm-hmm. Um, Ron Hanberg called me and said, come up here and take a look at uh, what we're doing up here. And I drove through this, this city. And, he, and before he took me into the studio, he picked me up at the airport. We drove around all the lakes. Oh, yeah, good move. He drove yeah, me around all move. the lakes because yeah. he knew I was a bass fisherman. Right, right. And, uh, and all the way, and he kept telling me about the BWCA, and he kept, and, and it wasn't, the, the other places didn't have a chance. Then it was on to the strip clubs. Yes, <laughs> go to the strip clubs. The lakes, then the strip clubs. Oh, we went to stand-up Franks for a while. <laughs> nice. And didn't oh, stand man. up very long. Stand-up Franks. Oh, yeah. And on top of it, uh, for those people who are listening around the country, uh, WCCO-TV at that time had the number one reputation of any local television station in, in the country. Oh, no doubt about it. No uh, question. Because it had won so many uh, Peabody's and so many Emmys because out of its documentary unit, mm-hmm. not out of its news unit, right. they had three documentary units working simultaneously and doing really big, scary stuff and uh, and traveling all over the place. In Vietnam. Yeah, in Vietnam. In, in I Vietnam. Out of the tackiest newsroom I had ever seen at the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the worst newsroom I had ever That no. little thing down with all the desks where all you guys sat yeah. in the old building. Oh, it was terrible. No, most of us couldn't stand up straight. You couldn't. You couldn't no. stand up. It <laughs> no. was hilarious. Oh, uh, man. I tell a, a story, and I always give you credit for it because it's your story, but... Uh, if you could tell the Randall McDaniel dunking a basketball story, that is one of my favorite <laughs> stories. Do you, have you ever heard it? Any of you? I've heard a little piece of it, but I haven't heard it. You tell it. You tell it. No, no, no. You tell it, and then, then I'll add color to it. Yeah, because you have to deliver the punchline. Because just the way your inflection is perfect. So I'm going to have to try to remember what that story is because they're <clears throat> two different stories. But Your daughter had some friends over. Uh, and they were, they were watching a Viking game at your house. And uh, you, I guess, thought you would try to make a connection with these young fellas uh, that were at your house watching a Viking game. And you said, <laughs> I don't know if you know this or not, but wearing his full football uniform. Oh, no, not, I'm sorry. That's not right. Wearing his full uniform, Randall McDaniel can dunk a basketball. And there was a moment of silence, and one of the young men looked at you and said, The clown? Oh. <laughs> That's right. Oh, my God. That's one of my favorite stories ever. And the look you got in your face when you told me that story for the first time. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> that was 25 years ago, probably. Yeah. Well, how yeah. old are your daughter? Uh, 35, 34, 33. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, you haven't seen Andy and Alex since she was no. one and he was three. Right. Little teeny kids. It's been a long, long yeah. time. But uh, honest to God, <laughs> you, when you told that story, so th- this, yeah, was probably 22 years ago or something like that. You know what the uh, best compliment I ever received in my life was? What was that? My daughter played basketball. I coached her. She was right. playing for the high school team at Hopkins. There was a guy named Mike Beauchamp who was on the high school team that would go to the state championship. Uh, they were friends, and they were over. I had a full-court basketball court at the house pavement mm-hmm. um, out in the driveway. And they were playing when I came home. And I said, you want to you play a little bit? And they said, yeah. So the two of them were seniors. And, uh, and so Mike said, uh, well, we need somebody else. I said, no, I'll just take the two of you. And he went, dude, <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you. Oh, he said, okay, we'll play. Uh, well, I'll go easy on you. But I started doing things that they were not used to seeing, old little old-timey basketball things. And I happened to be one of those nights where I was hitting. Um, you always so, hit. I so, played basketball with you, Benny. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, I beat him 21-18. And Mike Beauchamp came up to me, an African-American kid, came up to me, and he said, Mr. Shelby. <laughs> Mofaki. <laughs> he didn't call me Mofaki. I remember Mofaki. He said, Mr. Shelby, you are the best old man white guy basketball player I've ever seen. <laughs> what a compliment. That's the greatest compliment I will ever get in my life. And I've seen plenty. I've seen plenty. No, I, I uh, remember going over to... Uh, Williams Arena playing in some of those uh, basketball games. You didn't miss. You did not miss a whole lot. And basically, the whole time that I was on the court, I was jawing with people in the crowd. <laughs> you remember that? I, said, yeah. I remember that. Don, I'd be setting up, take a jump shot. I'd look at, I'd look at somebody and go, hey, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> but you know the great thing is, is that is that whether it's you or Paul Majors or Mark Rosen or go down the list of people, I do understand that for the past 30 years, you guys have always been very kind to me, but all of you get that look in your face like, this is one crazy motherfucker. <laughs> and I've always known that. <laughs> it was always evident. But I kind of liked it. It was, it was a North Minneapolis thing. Yeah. There's a it little bit is. of an intimidation factor. Really? Yeah. But you never really intimidated me because no. um, because I grew up with guys like you. Mm-hmm. And uh, the only way, uh, you know, a pencil neck kid like me could, uh, could uh, you know, stand his ground and not be completely bullied was to come back with language. Oh, yeah. And when you were downstairs uh, getting your poison and I was sitting there eating the BLT, mm-hmm. but I was on the phone talking to yeah. uh, someone yeah. and you walked by and saw me. And do you remember what I mouthed to you? The, and I hadn't seen you for, what, five years, six years? Yeah, five, six years. Yeah, yeah. He, he mouthed, you look like shit. I did not. <laughs> I, I, just, I was on the phone, and I just looked at you, and I went, fuck you. Yeah, fuck you did. He, he did. He went, fuck you. That's exactly right. Because, again, for, for 25 years, we, we couldn't talk to that way to one another in public that's right certainly not on a broadcast yeah. it just was yeah. not a, it wasn't possible 
we have to get you back uh, to do this. We're going to start doing this, uh, like a live afternoon podcast. Cool. And we're going to start. It's going to be interactive, take a lot of phone calls. I would just love to hear people call. Well, first of all, the first call will be. You two pricks. <laughs> I, I want them to call. That will be the first one. Well, uh, oh, God, there's so many. Can I tell you just one? I didn't and know. it has to do with you, you, are, you are a prick. Take your time. No, no. The, no, the, the you, are a, you are a prick line that, that who you think will be the first caller. My last year at WCCO, um, I have done an uh, in the know that has pissed off some people. And I get an email. And the email is signed, and it has a return address. And the, really? and the email says, uh, after it calls me every kind of asshole in the world, then it says, then it names my daughters by their first names. Ooh. Then it says, uh, I pity them that they had to grow up in the house with you. Oh, oh yes, absolutely. Okay. So I immediately... Uh, and, and, you know, this is all monitored. You have to be very nice to viewers because right, right. you don't want to piss them off and make them go away. So uh, I wrote, uh, dear sir, uh, are you looking for a debate or are you looking for a fist fight? Because I am good for both of those. <laughs> Call me. I love it. Call me. Nice. I love it. And I never heard from him again. Oh, of course. Because uh, it's like all these guys on, on social media now. Big boomer, number 55. And I'm a tough, and you meet the guy, and it's like, you know, he's about three feet tall and weighs about yeah. four pounds. Yeah, you're a real tough guy. A lot of um, little people. And the in the know piece for people that didn't know, that was when you actually stood up away from the news desk, right? And did yeah. that. I yeah. love mm-hmm. that. Yeah. I love that piece. But, I mean, there, is, there was a time, and, and Tommy, you, uh, you already had it uh, coming out of Northeast, and, and I had it coming out of, um, I mean, Muncie, Indiana was a, a very tough mm-hmm. place oh, yeah. to come out of. I mean, you had to fight your way home from Cub Scout meeting. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was it was tough. <laughs> it's a nice time. Pinewood <laughs> so, Derby and Brass Knuckles. <laughs> yes. But um, we don't fit. You and I don't fit in this era of our age because no. the Alan Alda sort of uh, people, uh, that's how we should be. Yeah. Um, I was ready to fight at the drop of a hat. Oh, I, I would that. much, I would much rather punch someone <laughs> than uh, try to have a debate yes, with someone. And you and I were always like that, and that's why I felt a, a simpatico with you oh, because, um, I mean, there was just some shit we wouldn't stand for, mm-hmm. and and so I was able to, as an investigative reporter, uh, turn that on people, and. And find people who were really pissing me off. Right. Not individuals, you know, who would write, but people who were who were screwing the system and screwing people mm-hmm. and and breaking the law and and doing things that that were unfair to others. Um, it took a little bit of that fight, right? You know, a little oh, bit of I that agree. stuff that you have inside of you to keep on going after them, even though they may be bigger than you. Yeah, they're going to know you, they tangled. No, you're absolutely right about that, which is, again, that's one of the, when I sat down with you uh, to talk wherever it was in your office or on the roof or, you know, the little, what was the little cafe right across the street there? The Times? The Times. The Times, yeah, yeah. absolutely. We'd go on the Times or whatever, but it was, we always, always laughed. Yeah. And what was the kid's name came up with? Mafaki. <laughs> He was a reporter on Channel 4. I had to spell it for him. What, what He was saying, because we were saying the word, the compounded word, um, 
<laughs> of mother. <laughs> and, and I said to him, that is uh, not the way it's actually said. No. You don't say the four syllables uh, and pronounce them. If you're really in the street... Right. Uh, and you call somebody, you, you, you call somebody a malpaco. See? Right. You're a malpaco. You're a malpaco. And I said, now write that down. And so so it ended up being M A L. M A L. Mal. 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 Because you, you got to bite that L. You got to put that Mal. L in there. It's not like ma. No. It's got, it has a little bit of an L. And um, it was F A H K E Y. K E Y. Yeah. Malfacket. <laughs> what was that kid's name? Oh, he was only there a short time. I can't remember his name. I know, he was, uh, God, that was fun. Dude. He spent an entire afternoon. Malfacket. <laughs> entire afternoon. Unbelievable. Click on the Tom uh, Bernard podcast.com. Click on the Amazon banner. Tom Get it right, Malfacket. <laughs> That's crossed Malfacket. off. Yeah, well, don't try to read the crossed off part. You can't read underneath the pencil mark. My eyes are full of tears. Man, that's why I can't read. <laughs> Improvise. Yeah. Click on the Amazon banner at TomBernardPodcast.com and buy all of your gifts through our site. It doesn't cost you a penny more to shop through our site, and a portion of the proceeds go to the Smile Network. Click shop and support the show. Shop online through the Amazon banner at TomBernardPodcast.com. A portion of the profits of the Tom Bernard Podcast goes directly to the Smile Network. The Smile Network is a nonprofit organization that provides life-altering reconstructive surgeries and related health care services to impoverished children and young adults in developing countries. The Smile Network, together we are constructing lives one bright, smiling face at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, do not forget to... Uh, the, uh, the Season Never Ends is available everywhere, I'm assuming. Yep. But we'll link to it from the I site as well. We'll yeah. link to it from TomBernardPodcast.com. You can get it there. Uh, bookstores, uh, Dunn Brothers uh, have a couple of racks of books, and uh, Amazon and, uh, and Barnes and Noble, places and like that. That story you told is in there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's got to be tre- tremendous. Got to be. I still. I, I was shocked when Don came and handed me the book. I said, I, "When did you write this book?" And he said, "About a year ago." I said, "Well, why didn't? Weren't you on the show on KQRS?" I just was shocked that nobody ever called me and said, well, you should have Don on the show and talk about his book. I, I never heard from anybody. I don't really understand that. No, maybe they, maybe they thought I was a prick. <laughs> and I think you have a couple more books in you, too. Oh, God. Yeah. That's, yeah. One, that's one yeah. of the many reasons why you're such a treasure. You were one of the few who came up as a true journalist. Do you find yourself watching the news now as a critic? That's no segue. You call that a tease? You sit in the armchair. And... I have a hard time watching local news. Yeah. Oh, do you really? Yeah. Um, because I saw the train coming down the tracks that it was um, basically giving up on what I had been fighting for. I used to, I used to win 29 out of 30 arguments mm-hmm. on ethics and journalism. And by my last years, I was winning maybe one out of 30. And so I, I could just see I was being yeah. – my, my type of journalism, public service journalism, uh, journalism that provided uh, information on people uh, – to people to form an, uh, an informed opinion. Um, so I was watching uh, a couple of years ago, and, and this, this was during a sweeps period. So I was waiting to see what nice big stuff that they'd been working on to put up. And the first night was how to buy jeans to don't make your ass look fat. 
uh, the second night, the second night, two straight nights. It was hard to get two nights back to back on on a legitimate hard story, but uh, uh, wrinkle cream removers that work. Ooh, yeah, hard and. Uh, and you go, well, really, you know, uh, if somebody sued under the First Amendment, they could say that really isn't news. You know, so you could actually you could sue someone on a First Amendment case and and make that case that news and information is protected by the First Amendment. But that garbage isn't. Uh, man, there's so many more things I want to talk to you about, but it's so, so great of you to come in Uh Start the show by telling me to go fuck myself. <laughs> <laughs> it all worked out again. I uh, I want to hit this really hard. That story you told. I looked over at Alex and she was about one step from caving. Yeah. It was. I'm a crier. That was one of the great stories I've ever heard, though. But I've heard a lot of great stories from you. So thank you, my friend, for coming in. And we definitely want to get you back when we can be interactive and callers can call in and just beat the shit out of both of them. Yeah. Any, anytime you want me back, T, you know I'll be here. And congratulations on the season never ends again. We'll put Thank that up you. on our website. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening to the Tom Barnard Podcast. Yep. Follow Tom on Twitter at Radio Tom Bernard and visit TomBernardPodcast.com. www.TomBernardPodcast.com. And thanks for stopping by.